welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. I'm Joe Wolfond, and I'm joined by two people today, one of whom is my co-host, Joseph Cacharo. What's going on? And the other of whom is an esteemed colleague, somebody who I'm really excited to have on the program. She writes about the NBA for Yahoo Sports and is, to my mind, one of the absolute best in the business, Sirit Sohi. Sirit, thanks for coming on. How are you doing? Thanks for that lovely introduction. I'm doing well. How are you? You know, managing, getting through it, all all the caveats that you have to throw out in times like these. Uh, mm-hmm. I've started an- answering in cliches at this point. Yeah. People exactly. ask me how I'm doing. I'm like, I don't really want to talk about this. <laughs> you know, hanging in there. <laughs> right. Yeah, getting, getting by. by. Yeah. I would like to point out that in uh, the years we've worked together, I don't think Wolfon's ever once referred to me as an esteemed colleague. So, <laughs> well, I'm sorry for that, Cash. Uh, no, it, I, 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 I completely I, understand. I I agree. You have I, an explanation. I mean, I hold you in high esteem. You know, don't get it twisted. Um, I guess it's just this is like a, an unusual occurrence to have Seared on the pod. Like you and I, Cash, talk to each other pretty frequently too, so too often mm-hmm. yeah maybe so maybe i've just I, i've taken you for granted and that's what's going on here but we have more pressing matters to discuss a big reason i wanted to have Sirid on is she wrote a really really interesting and just an excellent piece called the draymond generation um and it's about basically a cohort of nba players uh grant williams lou dort Xavier Tillman, Eric Pascal. I think that's those are the guys, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I th- I think you got them all. I don't remember. There were tonight talks about too many people. <laughs> I think uh, those are the guys that I remember. But anyway, basically, a, a group of players who have kind of taken inspiration from Draymond Green, but also I think just sort of benefited from the trail that he blazed uh, and and the archetype that he created for players with, let's say, atypical NBA builds, you know, kind of medium height by NBA standards, obviously, uh, and squat and super strong and super smart, uh, multi-positional, defensively-minded players who, um, you know, are trying to carve out important roles by just reading the game astutely and leveraging the physical tools that they do have in order to offset the ones that they don't. Um, Is that... It seemed like a like a good summation of what that piece is about. Yeah, I kind of wish you wrote it now, honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, just guys yeah. that are trying their best to to make it work. Really, honestly, just like it's like an amalgamation of the little things for a lot of these guys, and we used to not really be able to track them or have a name for them. But with Green, he really popularized that kind of player. Like there were hustle players before, but you almost like looked at that as not a derogatory term, but it wasn't cool. He didn't really like want to be known as a hustle player. No, it's a <laughs> bit now, backhanded. It's like a way yeah, of saying right. that you don't have skill. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think Draymond actually like really because the Warriors were so popular, he kind of shed light on the fact that these things are skills. Like it takes a lot of smarts. Not everybody has motor. Obviously, like one of the things Dwayne Casey used to say all the time about Pascal Siakam, right? Is like motor is a skill. Because you would see everybody else not be able to keep up with him. So how can you look at it as anything but? Yeah, yeah. and I I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with Draymond. I feel like NBA writers are all a little bit obsessed with Draymond. Like he's mm-hmm. had such a fascinating career already. And I, like he's, I think, a, a surefire Hall of Famer. But I've always sort of wondered what his legacy is going to be when all is said and done. And I think one of the reasons I really like this piece is that it went a long way towards explaining, I think, what that legacy is actually going to be, which is, you know, for one thing, just changing the paradigm when it comes to players built like him and creating this new template. And I think, like, Dr- Draymond's special. You know, it's not just about, like, his skill or his physical profile, but, like, he has this characteristic about him. And I feel like even just that clip of him talking, like, the mic'd up clip of him talking at James Wiseman from the other night. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Pick, pick your night because there's been like multiple of them essentially every night the Warriors have played so far. Yeah. And, and I just think it's it's stuff like that that really makes him who he is. 
And so that's kind of what the idea of sort of chasing that Draymond template is a little bit like chasing a ghost, I think. And I do feel like, you know, maybe this ends with a bunch of teams chasing that next Draymond, just like teams tried forever to find like uh, the next Dirk or whatever, and just continually failing to do so because because Draymond really is a unicorn. But uh, I'll I'll start by just asking you, I guess, the, the kind of most obvious question, which is what inspired you to write this story? I was watching the Rockets play the Thunder in the bubble. And there were, I think, a few possessions in a row. But this was kind of a theme throughout the entire series where Stephen Adams just couldn't close out on P.J. Tucker. And eventually, Billy Donovan just had to sub Dort in for for uh, for Adams. So you had a six four guy <laughs> guarding a six five guy uh, at the at the five position. And at the same time, you also have Stephen Adams. Like you know, he doesn't have to play Draymond in these playoffs. Luckily for him, they're not in the bubble. But like, can you imagine how he was feeling at that moment, where it's like, Matt, I, I thought I was free of this sort of thing, and now. <laughs> Once again, I am checking out of the game because of small ball. Like I just realized, like it's it's everywhere now. Like it wasn't just that there were, you can you can find examples of these in pretty much uh, pretty much every game. But that one that one got me thinking on that pass because I don't think Draymond and, and Dort have a whole lot in common, but. The way he worked out for this piece was that I don't think that I think the steps that Draymond took were necessary for for Dort to be able to thrive. I think what's interesting too, and I think Siret's piece does a good job of explaining it, is I think a lot of times when we think about players or stars that have changed the game or you know changed the way a certain position is played, um, you know whether you want to talk about Steph changing the way the game is played or even Joe you mentioned Dirk and changing the way big men play the game or when people talk about you know like unicorn big men who can shoot I feel like there's always like something to quantify it by so whether you you know as something as simple as three-point attempts per game or just um, spots on the floor where they're shooting from and I think the really interesting thing with Draymond and the way he's changed the game and maybe changed his position is there's not really a way to quantify it and say okay here is a number that tells you uh, a direct way Draymond's changed the game, right? And Sierra just mentioned it too, even with Lou Dort, it's not necessarily that there's like one thing you can point to is like, okay, this guy's a prototypical Draymond type other than like delving into the way he plays, maybe the way he uses his body, his size in a, a little bit too. But I think another really good point that Sierra mentions in the piece is you know, she said, uh, green widening the acceptable dimensions of what makes an NBA player, but to fixate on size is to miss the message of his rise. Brains matter. And that's another thing that is so Draymond, but it, you can't really quantify, right? And Joe, we've talked about this on so many episodes, how Draymond's probably, what, one of the three or four just absolute smartest players on the le- in the league from a basketball IQ perspective. I mean, you can throw LeBron and Chris Paul, I guess, probably up there as one and two. And then that next tier down is probably Draymond and Lowry, if you ask me. Um, and, and there's just so many ways where he has impacted the game and changed the game and changed the way, you know, the big positions are played on both sides of the court and there's not really a way to quantify it. And I, so I think that's what makes the piece really interesting because between these players and the Michigan state people, just reading them talk about Draymond and it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you guys kind of get what I'm saying, but it, it came through to me that everyone kind of has the same feeling where there's, there's nothing to quantify it by, but you just see it and you see it in the way the game is changing and the players that are, following in his footsteps yeah one of the things that was really interesting to me when i talked to people is that they said over and over again that you don't see it until he's on the court um and they said that about every single player that i that i interviewed them about and it's because of the stats i think but i also think because like we're always like it's there's a little bit of confirmation bias in everything that we do right so when we're watching a game and there are certain things that we're used to looking at that suggest success we tend to zone in on those and we don't really acknowledge all the other stuff that's going on. So before Draymond came along, there were a lot of really good things that people were doing, the players were doing that uh, were going unnoticed unless you were really, really paying attention. And I think that actually seeps into like a scouting level too. Um, 
one of the most interesting things was talking to the Tennessee coaches who recruited Grant Williams and and the sense that they had that you can't you can't trick yourself into thinking that somebody's not good just because you can't explain them. If they're good, they're good. And if they keep making winning plays just because you don't have a way to quantify it or even for your brain to really like, you know, be able to to put a term around it. Like Draymond Green puts gives it a term. And once you give something a term, you start seeing it everywhere, right? Um, I think that's, that started that started to happen to the league now to the point where now these guys are starting to get much more appreciation. Obviously, Draymond gets plenty of appreciation, but you know he he gave he gave kind of a marketing uh, like a, a marketing boost to to the rest of those guys, and and you're kind of seeing it you're kind of seeing it present itself on every level. Uh, one of the things that didn't really get into the piece that I asked was like, was it easier for for coaches to convince players to hustle now, and and it is. Because it's no longer look, looked at as something that won't get you recognition. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all really interesting. And I also think it's it's worth pointing out that all these guys are still basically getting drafted in the second round. Or, you know, in Dort's case, not at all. Uh, although mm-hmm. I, Grant, Grant Williams, I think, is, is the only one who actually went in the first round. Um, yeah. but, th- but there is obviously still some reluctance around the league to invest valuable draft capital in these guys. And I think, you know, if nothing else, it it has probably allowed both uh, NBA front offices and these atypically built players to maybe just come at this with a bit more imagination about, you know, where they can fit in and and the kind of role that they can carve out in the league. But it it is interesting to me that it hasn't, uh, it, it hasn't percolated, I guess, deep enough that teams are willing to like, kind of risk a, a top 10 pick on a player that fits this profile on some level yeah but at the state like the, the the guys that i talked to definitely lower picks but i think if you look at this draft like two guys stick out to me and isaac okoro and um and sadiq bay i think i think sadiq was drafted 18th or 19th um mm-hmm. and okoro okoro was was drafted in, in the lottery and i don't think those guys get drafted either i think they're they're I talked about Sadiq a little bit in the piece, I think. I'm mean, honestly like, you know, you, you you cut and re-add so much that you kind of forget. I might not have mentioned him, but he's definitely a guy that benefited from it, who also went to Villanova and got to learn from there's a Villanova section in the story. Kind of about how they help build these modern players by by having people focus on their weaknesses so that, you know, once once they get to the NBA and need to deal with switching and all this stuff, like they're playing against defenders who aren't exactly used to uh to guarding their kind of player um and it goes for like small guys that that post up and then big men who can who can dribble and 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 play you face up but yeah so 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 Sadiq got to develop under that system and uh with like Okoro just with the jump shot that he has it's I think it should have been probably a bigger story that he uh that he didn't go go later you know yeah I don't know I guess Maybe I, that's that's my fault, and that's a lack of imagination on my part. Not not seeing him as being part of that same kind of group because he, I guess it's just his build is completely different mm-hmm. to me. Like he's sort of a more prototypical like athletic wing. He's more chiseled, and and just positionally, I guess, fits a more traditional profile. But I do think that's a good point. Uh, just in yeah, terms, right? Of- I mean, that's the, all those reasons are why I didn't talk about him in the piece. I just felt mm-hmm. like he didn't fit. But at the same time, I did keep thinking about him though because. Um, I th- I think, and it's kind of maybe in the si- in the same way that Dor isn't really exa- a lot like Draymond. Um, I don't think Okoro is like those guys, but I also think he benefits from those guys existing. Right, and I actually think this is maybe helping to clarify something for me, which is that there are almost like two separate cohorts or two separate paradigms. And Draymond, like, what's special about him is that he embodies both of them. But one of them is kind of like the physical type, and the way that you can. Uh, take what seems almost like a limiting factor in your physical profile and turn it into a strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's something else I want to talk about because there's a great line in the piece that's just fat has become strength in hiding, um, <laughs> yeah. which I really enjoyed. Um, so there's that element of it. And then there's there's the other element of it, which is just, okay, what do you do if you're not really a huge threat to score? If that's not really where you butter your bread, how are you going about having like a massive impact anyway? 
yeah, that's a really good way of, of looking at it because not all these players embody all these things, right? Like Lou Dort is an athletic specimen um, in a way that obviously like Draymond and, and Grant Williams are not, um, or even and even Xavier Till- Tillman is not. And he's actually kind of turning into more, more of a scorer as well. Uh, but then you look at, yeah, you're right. Draymond, Draymond embodies both. Whereas, like, I think Grant Williams might be a little bit on on the other side of the spectrum too. It's just, it's just kind of cool to see. I le- I really enjoyed writing this piece because you know it was kind of just like talking to a bunch of people that didn't really feel like they belonged, or you know the other people didn't feel like they belonged, but they do. And I think that that definitely ties them together. And it just kind of shows like there's so much more to you know to scouting and to and, and drafting and all that stuff than you know you're like the the dimensions that are going to make you you know salivate i guess draymond's playmaking too i mean obviously it's nothing new but i think you know in talking about what separates him from even some of the guys that you know have pieces of draymond in them is just that playmaking and i know joe do you know brandon uh brandon jordan at the score like video editor brandon yeah, I know him. I don't know him super well, but I know yeah. So he, I mean, he's a big ball fan, and and he's kind of a class example to me of someone who's like you know big NBA fan, and for whatever reason, just kind of can't appreciate what Draymond does. And anytime I bring up his playmaking, his rebuttal is always that like, well, you know, if you threw me in there after the space Steph creates and like the ability to go four on three, I could throw a lob too. Uh, and it's funny. Um, and uh, it's, probably not. <laughs> and it's funny, and it's like it's uh, it's very like sports tv type thing but right um but i I think that's just like a classic example of how people have undervalued draymond over the years is that you you can't teach the not just the passing itself but like the playmaking feel he has in those scenarios right like it's, it's one thing to just say oh yeah he he can really pick apart a defense in four on three situations but it's another thing to actually watch him do it and, and there's a reason he does it at the level he does it at and not many other guys can, right? And uh, whether it's that or even like, I think the disappointing thing with the, the Draymond talk is that some of the people that seem to scoff at his impact on the game the most are guys who were once in the league. And I know, you know, like the Shaqs and the Chucks of the world obviously aren't the best examples of people who maybe critically think the game in their role as analysts, but whether it's those guys, you know, like starting the whole triple single thing that has followed Draymond in like online conversations the last couple of years or, or people who are, you know, pretty big fans and yet still can't find a way to appreciate what he does, maybe because the numbers aren't there on the offensive end, even though I think, you know, you can look at the assist numbers and see that there are really impressive offensive numbers there for a guy in his mold. Yeah, I I don't know what it is about Draymond. Maybe it's just like the polarization that comes with being a bit of a loudmouth and a trash talker, and and people don't know how to associate that with a guy that yeah you know does the whole triple single thing. But it's always just kind of perplexed me, like why he can't just be completely appreciated by the basketball watching public and even people that were in the game. Like I don't know. To me, if anything, he should be a guy that's so admired because he has the whole package. Okay. He's not a scorer per se, but you know, whether it's the playmaking and and it's the smarts that he brings um, to help you offensively, whether it's like his generational defensive talent, he's one. So you can't even hold that against him. You know, he's one, he's been a key contributor on some of the greatest teams ever assembled. I just, for the life of me have never been able to understand why Draymond's value is so perplexing to people. I think from a fan perspective, he's a lot like the other unappreciated players of the past and that if he's on your team, you absolutely adore him because you watch him do these things every day. Um, but if you're not on his team, you might hate him because like he, I don't know. He like, he can the best player in the NBA. Uh, or maybe he did something like that to, to the star on your team. Uh, it was like there were guys like that in the past, right? Like Joakim Noah comes to mind. And, and it also kind of had like a similar, I think a similar public persona as, as Draymond. I think most people remember Joakim as the guy who said like, you know, why would anybody want to go to Cleveland? Yeah. Uh, 
and uh and no oh, that's actually like man two two guys that cleveland fan base must absolutely yeah. absolutely detest now that now that i think about it uh but yeah you have that element of it and i also think there's a level of warriors fatigue too where people are just kind of sick of hearing how good those guys are and you know, I get that because on one side, like there are guys who do what Draymond does at, at like not as high of a level or um, without the spotlight. Although I don't think anybody does it as, at as high of a level that he does um, that don't get credit. So I think on some level it's because of that. Like why is Draymond the one guy that gets a ton of credit when like there are subsects of players that do this in the NBA um, that might not be as good as him, but, you know, proportionally aren't even known at all whereas he's considered a superstar like i don't know if he's it, it is a question for you guys actually like is, is draymond green a household name i i think he is i think i i think he is i think even if someone dislikes him or would argue that the three of us overvalue his um mm-hmm. on-court impact i still think because of his place on a generation defining team I definitely would say he's a household name. I do think there are probably a, a decent number of casual fans who might still know him best as the guy who got himself suspended from a finals game because, like, he couldn't stop kicking people on the balls. You know, like, do you think ca- do you think casual yeah. fans know? Do you think they know about that though? Like, do you think a casual yeah, fan? Yeah, it was in the finals and it involved LeBron. So I was trying to figure this out, so I asked my friends, which is always my. <laughs> There's always my check for these things because they're right on that level of like they tune into the NBA when it's a thing that everybody's talking about and they're like they like LeBron but they don't really like care enough to follow outside of, outside of like you know for a month and like I asked my friend if if she knew who uh, Draymond was and she was like oh yeah of course like and then kind of like you know she sounded like she didn't like him <laughs> and I was like oh okay that's interesting like that's kind of the public the public portrayal of him is of just being that guy the guy who kind of pissed pissed the calves off and you know is a loud mouth and stuff so i kind of started explaining to her like the whole thing then then when i told the dream one story she was like oh my god that's great but that's not really like what um what people see him as that's fair i i do want to point out too just so that uh... this, by the way this one person is, is now all of public opinion <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Does she know? Does she know that she speaks for all casual NBA fans around the world? She doesn't. I don't want to put that kind of pressure on her. You know, I'd rather just. I don't really want her thinking too much. <laughs> uh, I, I was gonna say just in because uh, I brought up Brandon Jordan, the score's great uh, content producer, and just so clarify that I'm not at all throwing him under the bus. I did want to point out that because uh, he and I argue about this all the time. Like Draymond is our source of contention at all times. I did want to point out that we were once um, filming something with an active NBA player and this argument came up and the active player joined with Brandon in completely clowning me for overvaluing Draymond's impact. So while I, while I mentioned, you know, Brandon having this opinion as like a very like sports TV talking head thing, I should give him the credit in that uh, an active player did agree with him in that. Draymond's value is overrated, and they they both clown me about the fact that I overvalue him. I'm gonna need you to name names. Let's do it like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't. It's not that you, it, we've only done uh, stuff with with a few players, so there, there's like less than a handful to pick from. But I, I won't I won't fully name the name. I'm excited for Reddit to figure this out. Um, <laughs> well, let's put a let's let's put a uh, a number on it though. Like what? What is Draymond's value? Like, what what does it mean to overvalue him? Well, I think, I mean, the big knock on him is that he's a system player, right? System player, system player. I feel like that's Mm -hmm. what you hear so often from people who don't actually think he's that good. Mm -hmm. And I suppose from that perspective, if you were one of those people who felt that he was overvalued, would say that, you know, you take him out of that system, you separate him from Steph, and what is he really? And maybe they would use as evidence, like, the season that he put forth last year, which was frankly not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are a lot of reasons you could throw out there for why that was, you know, one of them being just, like, 
you talked about Draymond's motor and sometimes like that motor isn't really running. Like if he doesn't feel like he has something to play for, I mean, this is the guy who literally coined the phrase 16 game player, right? Like he has mm-hmm. always sort of saved his best basketball for the postseason, and with nothing to play for last year and Steph out for the year, basically like there wasn't anything for, for him to get revved up for. Uh, and that could have been a reason, but you know, I don't think it would be totally out of bounds to say, and maybe it's not a good example because there was just so little talent on that Warriors team last year that there really is only so much that he could have done. But yeah, you take away like the generational point guard who has more gravity than any player we've ever seen probably. And suddenly like you don't have space and you're not getting those four on three opportunities and your value sort of dries up. So I think that would maybe be the point that that you could make is that like he still relies and everybody does, so it's it's not really fair. Like everybody relies mm-hmm. on on other good players to like help amplify their skill set, but he maybe more than other quote unquote star players is maybe dependent on like other really good players to amplify what he does well. But I, I think I think that's a fair point. I think Draymond is somebody who isn't going to make he won't make a mediocre mediocre team a little bit better, but I think you're getting the most value out of him when you're trying to go from being good to being great because he does need a little bit of attention away from him in order to to do his thing. He's a great passer and that's probably his biggest uh, offensive skill. So obviously like it, it kind of follows from there that the better your teammates are, the the more effective your your assisting is going to be. And for all the value that he brings on the defensive end too, like you can you can win games with your defense and be a mediocre team and no one's really going to value it that much. You can still be bringing value on that end, but it's just not going to be seen that way because we only really like go hard for defense when it's like when it's Steph Curry taking a charge, you know, like when, when it's, when a really great, great team is playing great defense, then we tend to, I don't know if we tend to overvalue it, but we give we give it more credit when it should probably be getting credit all the time, I guess. And like it, it kind of followed too, like with uh with some of the other players in this article. Like one of the things I'm remembering right now is I was talking uh, about Xavier Tillman with a scout, and what they said was essentially like you know they like Tillman, but the team that they work for is not in a position where they're trying to make the playoffs or trying to contend. So Tillman is not as useful for them. Like it's better for them to take a chance with, with somebody who might be able to like a, one of the higher upside guys that often gets picked over these types of players, because that's, that's a part of the timeline they're in right now. Those are the chances they need to be taking. Whereas like if Tillman went to a team that was rebuilding as opposed to Memphis where he's, he's playing really well right now. And he's, you know, he's helping them close out games and, and he's been, he's been great on defense. Those things just wouldn't matter as much. And, you know, he might even fizzle out in one of those scenarios because the things that he does just aren't valued. So other, other people aren't necessarily seeing it either. So I think that's definitely, I think that's yeah, definitely a reasonable criticism of Draymond. At the end of the day, I think everything comes down to fit, right? Like if you look at, if you like look at the wizards right now, if you look at Bradley Beal, yeah, like he's doing, he's he's literally leading the 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 NBA in scoring, and it doesn't matter because they can't play any defense. So you can kind of flip it too, in some cases. Um, like if you put Draymond on the Wizards, you put Draymond on a number of teams. Like this is kind of one of the things that I see all the time now, um, especially as I was in the weeds of this piece. Like I, I watch these teams, and I'm like. Like I look at the Suns and I'm like, oh, they could really use Draymond Green. I look at, it, I look at, um, look at the Nuggets. I'm like, man, they could really use Draymond Green. I all, a lot of these teams are really lacking like that playmaking for either to like, you know, like in, in in the Suns case, I think it would be good for for Booker and um, and Chris Paul to kind of have a connector, kind of in the same way that Kawhi and and Kyle got better at playing off each other when when the Raptors traded for Gasol. And and then with the Nuggets, like, could you ask for a better help side defender to, you know, clean up the mess that, that Jokic is kind of consistently going to leave on the defensive end? But yeah, there's this kind of like there's ex- there's examples for for multiple teams, like in the same way that a team like the Pelicans could really really use Bradley Beal, right? I I think uh, guys in the Draymond mold or 
guys that have like a star level two-way impact but who aren't scorers i think maybe and i'll i'd love to hear your guys thoughts on this but i think maybe the best way to think of them is that they are it's it's much easier for them to be ceiling raisers as opposed to floor raisers Mm -hmm. and maybe that's just like the nature of the game and if yeah if you're not a scoring star it's hard to be a floor raiser for just a bad kind of hopeless team there are very few guys in the league that i think are both yeah that's very true i like lebron james obviously comes right. to mind he can take an 11 win team to the playoffs he can also mm-hmm. turn a 50 win team into i mean he probably turn a 50 win team into a 70 win team but um you know there are a few guys that can do that but you have to be able to kind of do everything in those scenarios mm-hmm. and i don't even know that LeBron, you can argue for sure, does that. I don't know that there are a lot of other players that you can argue for sure do that. Maybe James Harden. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? We're ta- Whoever it would be, we're talking about the like absolute tier one guys. And yeah, so like Anthony Davis missed the playoffs a ton in New Orleans, and he's fantastic. Right. He, this stuff happens. And and at that point, if you're if if people's only criticism, you know, at that point is. At that point, it's just that you're saying, okay, well, he's not like a top six player in the world. And they, so what? So then therefore he's trash? Right. Like, yeah. yeah, sure, right, yeah. But I think, you know, like just talking about situation and how important it is, like it's just making me think of Ben Simmons, right? Because if you... Man, if you we were have to another say, hour? It, it doesn't have to go on that long. But like, honestly, if you were to just flip Ben Simmons for like Kyrie Irving right now, I feel like Ben Simmons would instantly become a Draymond-like figure, you know, like a perfect complimentary star who did all the defensive dirty work and like the short roll playmaking and the transition playmaking and like could just exist within his own skill set and be so helpful to that team as opposed to being the guy who is mucking up Philly's spacing and like dragging Joel Embiid down. Like, and I don't necessarily believe that, but I do feel like that's how a lot of people see him and like the, the limitations that he has have become limitations for that team just because the fit isn't quite right. And mm-hmm. and so I think it's definitely really important to always be mindful of how important the situation is. One of the things actually that I hadn't really thought of with Ben before, but just, you know, piggybacking off the whole idea that players are now a lot more open to being that type of player is that like, I wonder if Ben's own self-conception is, I don't want to do too much psychoanalysis, obviously. Let's take this with a grain of salt, obviously. But I wonder if like, the way that he sees himself is as a superstar. And that's one of the reasons he doesn't necessarily fit that well. Like, one of my gripes with with him for a while has been like, okay, you're not a good shooter. Fine. You don't want to improve at that. Fine. Can you set some screens? And that's something that like we really aren't seeing enough of. Um, and I've never really seen enough of from him especially now is like he kind of you know I'm not I'll have somebody I haven't I haven't there's something weird with Ben this year right like I don't really know what it is he he, he, I think I agree with that I feel like he's looked more disengaged this year with them off to a better start and seemingly having like a better roster construction than he has in previous years I mean yeah Yeah. like I, I wrote about this recently like his usage rate is the lowest that it's ever been like he's taking the fewest shots that he's ever taken um, and I think, you know, to go back to Sirit's points, like I, I don't, I've never really taken huge issue with the fact that he doesn't shoot threes. I think he can still be really effective by not shooting them, but like he should, like he's a six foot 10 ball handler. Like he should be able to get to the rim at will. He should be able to get to the free throw mm-hmm. line whenever he wants to. He should be able to like power through contact at the rim. He should be, you know, as you said, like setting off ball screens and like utilizing his gravity as a cutter and a role man. And, and none of that's happening. And I've always had a hard time sussing out whether that's like a coaching issue or a him issue. And I think, you know, he's on to now his second coach and it's like the same issues are persisting. So I feel mm-hmm. like it becomes harder, I guess, to pin it on coaching. But I think, you know, that's a good point about how like maybe self-perception feeds into this too. And like Draymond, has never really tried to be anything other than Draymond. I feel like he has a, a really good idea of what he's good at and who he is as a player and like how to maximize his own abilities. And that maybe in itself is a skill as well. Oh, that's actually like one of the things that 
just talking to the other person in the league said was a commonality with all these players too is that like you do have to understand who you are and that you are going to be doing the dirty work and like you're going to be you're not you're not Steph Curry you're getting Steph Curry open and that's that can be you know I imagine for somebody who was the number one pick that's the harder thing to reconcile with than it would be for somebody who's just you know so happy that somebody actually sees that they're bringing value and, and just you know, is glad to have stuck in the league. If um, if you had to pick one of those guys between Grant, uh, Dort, Tillman, and Pascal, which one of those guys do you think is going to have the best career? Um, it's so hard to say what Tillman is going to be I really love what I've seen from him so far um but he's just so early in his developmental path mm-hmm. right now even though with with that said though I, it has to be Lou Dort right I mean, he's, he's, he's going, been so good this year re- yeah, yeah and, and like he the three is the three-pointer is real um he's he's showing growth on that end and he was he was asked to score a lot when he was younger and I mean obviously like I'm sure anybody listening to this like is has familiarity with the Lou Dort story he also was probably the most even though he is the I think the only one who went undrafted he was also probably the one prospect that was considered to have the most upside every single person that I talked to that I asked about this said they were shocked that Dort wasn't drafted like you know i would like ask for explanations like any concerns that he that there could have been and like there's nothing even like if you talk off the record or just like conversations that i had about dort before i was even doing a profile on him because like i love lou dort like people who did not think that i was going to write an article about him just no explanation at all so that all his, his entire trajectory actually like tracks well other than the fact that he went undrafted which um i'm hoping is a mystery that a better reporter than me will one day unearth because i would be really curious to hear what exactly it was other than like you know the things that we kind of know um which is he had really unusual dimensions even if they were great dimensions they were they were unique and uh there was a perception that he he couldn't shoot which he's which he's obviously improved on a ton and if I mean if a guy with that level of athleticism can can shoot you know it just it just raises their ceiling by so much especially when they can do all the he's the best one-on-one defender in the NBA I think Joe Joe has said about 17 times in the last five episodes that it's OJ Anobi I gotta say though (laughs) I've been pretty disappointed with OG's defenses here Uh, I, I still think he's been really good on ball but I, I wouldn't quibble if you wanted to say that like Dort's been better or or even that like Ben Simmons has been better on the ball and like mostly the the issues I've had with OG are just like I don't think he's been really good as an off-ball defender but mm-hmm. um but he's just kind of been a, a little bit disappointing to me at that end of the floor this season after the way that he finished last year so I mean I think based on the work that Dort did on James Harden alone, like in the playoffs last year, I feel like you could make that case because I, I've never seen James Harden have so much difficulty shaking a single defender before. Dort, um, Dort's on-ball defense, the shooting ability he's shown, the dimensions here uh, noted, he's still, I think, only 21 or 22. And on that ridiculous bargain contract that we all now know about, like that's gotta be just in terms of a, and not to like, you know, talk about players solely as assets or to even consider them as a trade piece because I don't think the Thunder would be interested in that. But just in general, as like a valuable part of a team uh, building exercise going forward, like there are few guys, young guys in the league in a more valuable situation right now than Lou Dort, I'd say. I almost wonder what it would take for the Thunder to give him up because now that Harden is in the East Coast, I feel like there's just going to be a bunch of teams that are going to speculate. Yeah, but like, Especially where does it, where does it end? Like, where does it end? Like, they have to they have to have like good young players at some point 
they can't, it can't all just be draft picks, right? Like, I guess if they did get a sort of godfather offer, like, would they do it for two first round? Like, they have so many banked already. Like, I just, if if they were to actually trade one of the, like, three good young players that they have, then that would be pretty egregious. Yeah, I think the problem with, like, any, any Lou Dort trade would be that any team that's trying to contend would not have what the Thunder want. Because I think the only way they trade Dort or that it would make sense to trade door would be like for something for, for something that's already good. Yeah. If they, if they were moving him with some of their boatload of picks in a deal for a star, maybe um, then I get it, but mm-hmm. I would, I couldn't for the life of me understand them ever including him in a deal to just get more picks or younger, because even if you got a first rounder, like you'd be pretty happy if your first rounder ended up, becoming what Lou Dort is now. At no, you'd point. have to do more than the first and rounder, have, honestly. It would yeah. have to be like a, it'd have to be like, yeah. you know, a lottery pick, first yeah. rounder. And and you'd be happy if they just turned into what Lou Dort is now at that age and you'd have to pay them like triple the amount because they'd be a yeah. first rounder. Like it his combination of um of two-way ability, the ceiling he can still get to and the contract he's on is just uh it's pretty remarkable. He really impresses me with just his ability to finish around the basket because he drives so hard, like and just with so much force and speed, and and he doesn't look at first blush like the most coordinated player, but he's able to contort his body and like finish at weird angles. Like he's a he's a really surprisingly good finisher, which isn't something that you would typically associate with his player type. You know, like I feel like his his sort of. Uh, rough outline is that of a three and D player, but I think his best offensive skill is actually just his his dribble drive game. Yeah, absolutely. He's he, he's an incredible finisher, and he just has so much strength, and he knows it, and he knows how to use it too. Um, and he still has like the point guard agility as well. So he's not really he start he he's figuring out how to not get called for for charges either. But that's like yeah, as he develops the shot, you know, it's it, it's kind of been a consistent in his career, in his entire career, like even in high school, all he wanted to do was drive to the rim, and uh, and he had to kind of learn how to how to diversify, but yeah, he can, he can get there. Okay, how about this, as we continue asking questions that don't actually need to be answered, <laughs> would you rather have Lou Dort or OG Ananobi? Ooh, I'm going Dort, honestly. Wow. No, I'd I'd still take OG, but I think the fact that, I mean, you're obviously factoring in their contracts into that. Like, that's why you're asking. Because I I still think OG is, like, at this point in time, the the better player and the better long-term prospect. But, I mean, obviously, like, the... And I I hate talking about things in these terms because, like, Lou Dort should be getting paid what Lou Dort's worth, and I don't want to celebrate, like, the, the pittance that the Thunder are paying him, but from a team building perspective, that obviously makes things a lot easier, but yeah, I think, I think I would still go with OG. I just feel like he, I've lost a little bit of faith in like his ability to ultimately develop his off the dribble game because it's just still been so slow and coming. And like, I haven't really seen a lot of growth in that area from last season to this one, but I just think long-term, I believe in his upside a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at. Fair. Fair. Um, I just, I think I just like, um, I like players that are just so dynamite at one thing, you know. I think Lou's defensive versatility, especially in a league that's going to, I think, require more and more isolation defense uh, in the playoffs. Um, it, it's just one of those things where that one skill alone is so valuable that I just have to go with them. And you might not want him. You might not actually want him for for the eighty two games as much as you want him for the playoffs. And again, like the whole sixteen player thing. I just think that you know, like I don't. I, I think he causes problems for everybody in the league. Whereas I think OG causes problems on defense for like eighty percent of the league, and that that twenty percent to me um, in the post postseason makes a big difference. So another question, just kind of about these players, I feel. In, like, Tillman's case, maybe in Pascal's case, like, the, the Warriors have been playing him as a center off the bench recently, and that experiment's been going pretty well. We've seen a decent amount of Grant Williams at center for the Celtics. It seems like part of the archetype is this idea of having a small ball five, and 
I mean, you were just talking about the, the inspiration that you had for writing the piece in the first place and, and it being, you know, Stephen Adams kind of getting played off the floor. Like in your mind, is that where the future of the position is headed? Like, are we going to see more guys like this or... Because part of my feeling is that eventually maybe we'll see a snapback to that. No, and, I think it's all correct too. Yeah, because I, I think maybe we've already sort of seen it happening. Like for the longest time, there was the absurdity really of like teams trying to copy the Warriors small ball blueprint without having somebody like Draymond to actually make it work. But I do feel like like small ball has always kind of been a bit of a misnomer because... Like the goal has always just been to get as much skill on the floor as possible. Like it just so happens that the smaller players tend to be more skilled than the bigger guys. But like if you can get skill and size in the same package, then that's really the ideal, I think. And like that's what's made the Lakers so unstoppable because Anthony Davis and LeBron are like center and power forward size. And they just also happen to have basically every skill that you could want. So you get all the benefits of playing small ball without actually having to downsize. And I think Draymond is like one of the rare guys who um, who like really works defensively as a small ball five without taking that much off of the table at the offensive end. And I think that's going to be the real challenge, I guess, for these people who come up like profiling as small ball centers is like, mm-hmm. can you actually, can you actually do it at that level? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you're already seeing it, you know, Anthony Davis is obviously the best example, uh, but he's also so rare. It's so rare to get that blend of size and skill. Uh, but, you know, the Warriors, the same team that, that drafted Draymond, you know, picked James Wiseman number two. So they clearly see something. Uh, you look at Joel, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic. There are plenty of guys that will cause problems and cause more problems if the league continues to, to go in this direction. Like, looking at the playoffs alone like obviously like all credit in the world to, to Anthony Davis but you know once Bam Adebayo hurt himself there was no shot that anybody in those playoffs would, would have any chance at guarding him it certainly wasn't going to be anybody anybody um on on Denver and if the Clippers had gotten there they weren't I don't think they were going to be able to do it either the league is already kind of in this in this place and and it kind of goes back to what I talked about in the piece and kind of just you know what, what it's all about just like that once you define something, it, it becomes valued. But after a while, it also, like, you know, there's a potential of it becoming overvalued, too. So you should always be looking at the things that are undervalued. So it almost, it becomes a paradox, almost. But one thing I think that we might even see more of is, is small guards. Like, the reason I really love the Lakers this year is because they they have players for all situations. Um, and I think like looking at Schroeder's success, I think a lot of it just comes from the fact that it's really hard to, to guard him. If you switch like this switching formula works really, really well for, you know, 90% of matchups if you have the right personnel for it, but then every once in a while you run into a player that's very difficult to guard on a switch. And often it's either somebody who's way too big or somebody who's, who's so agile that, you know, the guy who switches onto him can't guard him. Uh, there's only so many Lou Dortz, right. That can, that can actually guard pretty much you know, from Trey Young to Donovan Mitchell and, and all the way to, you know, James Harden. And we actually have, I don't know, like we haven't seen him too much on, he, he tends to get like the primary magic on a perimeter guy, but, you know, he's definitely bulky enough to, to guard guys down low. And I don't think it really, really ends up costing, costing the Thunder anything when he does. Um, but, you know, back to my, back to my point, like there are, that, that formula works against almost everybody, but there are going to be outliers. And then, like, we, those those outliers, like, as more people start moving in this direction, those outliers are naturally going to have more value. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Scores Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out the Scores YouTube page for an informative yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. Piggybacking on that thought, you mentioned small guards. Is there any other kind of when when you say like you need to be looking at the things that are undervalued? I mean, I, I mm-hmm. fully agree with that, right? Like that's the name of the game. It's like being ahead of the curve and finding that 
sort of next, whether it's a stylistic evolution uh, or an undervalued player type. Is there one of those things that stands out to you as being kind of like the the new market inefficiency? Uh, man, I don't know. It might just be small guards, especially, and I might, you know, I might be wrong. Maybe we don't need small guards anymore, especially as every point guard starts being like six five, six seven, right? Um, but because I think everyone wants a skilled big man, right? Like we can, we well, like Anthony Davis is not a market market inefficiency. Right. <laughs> yeah, someone um, who makes you matchup proof is is, yeah. is not a market inefficiency. Yeah, and the like, like Lakers are so matchup proof with. Uh, it's a that's a great word. Um, like with Dennis and like I, I always like I wonder how Taylor Horton Tucker will come come along too. So that just gives them another versatile defender. I'm really I'm really excited for the Nets Lakers finals that will inevitably happen. Yeah, it would be a great series. Um, could it be fat players? Because <laughs> I mean that's yeah that's what I'm saying though like Zion baby. <laughs> you know? And Jokic. I mean, obviously, yeah. like, skinny Jokic appears to be even better than tubby Jokic, to be fair. But, I mean, that dude went 41st overall. And, I mean, in hindsight, like, that scout that you talked to is saying, like, you can't trick yourself out of mm-hmm. thinking that a player is good. Like, you have to trust your eyes at a certain point. And, like, on the one hand, yeah, your eyes might be telling you this guy looks like bagged milk. But, like, at the same time, he's an absolute basketball savant and one of the most genius yeah. passers we've ever seen. And, like, I think... Well, there's one thing that we undervalue and aren't really good at finding finding out if it's, like, at that 100% level is intelligence. Yeah. I think it's really, really difficult to tell how smart a player is until you, like, are with them. And, and honestly, like, even now that you're saying it, I think the combination of like having that intelligence and maybe like having a little bit of extra cushion is like a really valuable combination, right? Because like that's what Draymond has and that's what Jokic has. That's what Kyle Lowry has. And that's like Chris Paul, same thing. Like there are a bunch of these smart Mm -hmm. players with big asses who use those attributes to like great effect. Mm -hmm. Boris Diaw, like it it can be an asset, right? It It gives you a sturdier base. Like you can use it to kind of carve out space in the post. Um, Lowry's always been good at like using it to keep defenders on his hip and shield the ball when he goes to the mm-hmm. rim. So we can actually bring this full circle. Um, when when Villanova discovered small ball, it was when Lowry was there in 2005. Their big man tore his ACL, and Jay Wright realized like Kyle Lowry can play the four, <laughs> and. Pretty much from that point, which is just like the most amazing Kyle Lowry anecdote ever. Um, but um, when that was all said and done, you know, he realized this is what he always wanted to do. And that's when they started targeting these guys and, and kind of helped that that part of the evolution of the game happen at the college level. The, the one thing I think I would add, and I, I mean, I agree. I agree with what Joe's saying in that you can like, kind of draw a line through these guys that maybe have a little a little extra junk in the trunk and are, you know are high IQ players and they know how to use it whether it's Draymond or Lowry using his behind or whatever the case may be but I think I think it's also fair to like to wonder if maybe it's also just that like the smartest players the guys that we recognize as the most intelligent and and having like a really high basketball IQ also just seem to know how to use their bodies to their advantage more than other guys, you know? And so maybe there are other guys in the league that, you know, whether it's the way they're physically built or some sort of physical attribute that they could exploit if they actually had the basketball and or physical Mm -hmm. IQ as some of these other guys were talking about, right? And maybe Mm -hmm. we just like notice it more with those guys because they know how to use it. We also, um, I think we also talk about it more with those guys because, if it wasn't for that, their success would probably defy expectations. Like LeBron James is the smartest player in the league, but it's like the fifth thing you say about him. And that is ultimately, I think it it makes these players more interesting. Like if Draymond could do everything Draymond could do, like while also being seven feet tall, he'd be a way more valuable player. But I think he would also be a lot less interesting to talk about. Yeah. Um, No one one would be writing great features about the Draymond generation. And no, seriously, like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's, it, it's like a, a necessity is the mother of invention kind of thing, right? And and I think part of what's so fascinating about Draymond is that, like, 
the necessity, like the things that he has lacked, the things that he's had to make up for to become an NBA star, like has in some ways like forged the player that he is. And, and I don't know, in the same way that like being blind is supposed to sharpen your other senses. You know what I mean? It's like the things that he lacks have, have made him like almost mm-hmm. more acute in other areas. I have a great, um, this has nothing to do with basketball, but it really, uh, I don't know. It really kind of moved me. I was reading this, um, this book about these kind of like facilities that are, that are more friendly to, uh, to deaf people. And one of the things that like they do is that they play music at like an insanely loud volume because they can hear vibrations that mm. we can't. Wow. And like they'll like they'll listen to the Beatles, but they'll like they'll literally like they're they're hearing the vibes. That, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> incredible, that actually. So, cool. <laughs> that's, so that's, that's the that's, most profound thing that's ever been dished on Pound the Rock. I can tell you that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I was just I was just blown away. Is is that your your grand analogy for Draymond as a basketball player? No, Are you just right. feeling the vibes. No, no, I, just, I just you know you mentioned that, and I it's like my favorite story, so I had to say it. That's pretty incredible. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> um, I think that that seems like a good place to leave off. I, I feel wholly satisfied uh, and fulfilled by this conversation. So unless either of you have anything that you'd like to add, I think we can put a bow on this. No, this is really, I really enjoyed talking to you guys about it. Definitely helped refine some of the ways that, that I feel about this new crop of players. Um, I, pre- I appreciate the, uh, the very curious questions. It's honestly an absolute pleasure to have you on. I know we were talking uh, just before we started recording about how nice it was to talk again, because it's been like a year, basically, since we used to run into each other at Scotiabank Arena. And so it's always a pleasure talking to you and really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your insights. Yeah, it was really, it was really great to hear you guys' voices. Like these are kind of like, you know, like, cause like you, you know, I think we can well safely, we can safely say like, we're not, we're not friends. Like we don't talk outside of, you know, most of like a setting like this or like when we see each other, but these are like kind of relationships we've all, we've all really lost this year. Like where it's like, you know, the person you enjoy running into, but you don't necessarily have their phone number, but you do see them quite a bit. Um, and it's like that part of it, I've been thinking about it more like that part of it really sucks. Like I just I like think about walking to the arena and like, you know, the, there's the security guards that are at the door every single day and like, yeah. and, like um, you know, just running into team people and stuff like those, like people that you don't really talk to all the time, but still like, you know, enjoy hearing their thoughts and just like, what'd you do today type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, even, I mean, the three of us uh, in terms of being at Scotiabank Green in Toronto, we've kind of like part of this small contingent that I used to call the the visiting locker room crew because right yeah because we yeah. you know the three of us are based in Canada but we didn't go to Scotiabank Arena to cover the Raptors as Raptors beat reporters we were you know general reporters and and feature writers who would spend you know a lot of our time in the visiting locker room because we were talking to the teams and players that would come through Toronto on their way to you know who knows where and so there was you know between the three of us and Alex Wong and maybe a couple other people uh, it was kind of like the same familiar faces that you'd see in the visiting locker room at every Raptors game um, that were, you know, Toronto or Canadian people, but just covering the NBA at large. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think, I mean, like half of that crew is on this call right now. So I think that's. Uh, that's yeah. Cool. Yeah. I also, I appreciate you guys being like cool competitors too. Cause like you sometimes you run into scenarios where like, you know, the, uh, the, the, the opposing team has like one or two players that anybody would really ever want to talk to but i, I always felt like we were all kind of like yeah 100 percent. We're, we're trying to step on each other's toes and like you end up in some situations where that does happen yeah no 100 my favorite was i think we were uh me me and i won't say i won't say who it was because i never ended up writing this and it's kind of like a i read joe i told you this the story but me and you were like walking up and down the stairs and uh, like I was, I was arriving to inter- interview and do a one-on-one with somebody who, um, who you had just interviewed too, and we kind of just were like, "Fuck." <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I mean, I, I was especially like, "Fuck," after I talked to you afterwards, and her, like, I, I ended up writing like a an okay, you know, sort of pseudo profile from like that thirty-minute interview that I did, and like I remember talking to you afterwards about 
the sort of subsequent follow-up interviews that you did and like where where your piece was going and then I was really like <laughs> feeling yeah but like but the right but you know you were right the right move would have just been to write the simple story because man I just got caught in, I like just caught it got caught in a tangle of weeds and then like you know switched to a new job and I never got to like <laughs> yeah I was, I was disappointed actually to never see that piece but um <laughs> if if you can Send me like a half written draft of it at some point in time. That would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, all right. Well, hopefully we will all get an opportunity to see each other again, maybe in 2022. But until then, this was great for Joseph Cacharo and our esteemed colleague, Sirit Sohi. We'll talk to you all soon. Pound the rock. <laughs>